So I want to say some words about retreat and what we're doing here and how the next few days will unfold, at least the structure of it. Who knows what will actually go on internally? That's a whole other story. Um, but also just as, as Spring was saying about arriving with, you know, feeling like you're stepping off the ambulance. Sometimes, you know, coming into a place, strange place, unfamiliar people, maybe different kind of forms or, uh, and it can often evoke a lot of uh, anxiety or apprehension or concern or doubt or what the hell am I doing here? Why did I sign up for this? And who are these people? And um, so just to know that that can also be part of the experience. And, you know, as we'll be saying, we're learning how to welcome everything in our experience, as Spring said, to befriend our experience. So I know the first time I signed up for a retreat, this is in 1984, and uh, I got to the train, I took the train down to Brighton and to a little train station just outside of Brighton and in southern England. And I was definitely hyper anxious because I had no, I had no, nobody I knew was doing what I was doing. And Buddhism was really obscure back then. And I got to the train station. There's all these kind of slightly odd looking characters at the train station. And I thought, I bet they're going to the retreat. I bet it's full of weirdos. And so I got the same, same train back home and I didn't go home. <laughs> that was the start of my illustrious <laughs> retreat career. <laughs> I eventually kind of plucked up the courage to go back the next year and it was all fine. And um, as the story goes on. So, but also to say about deriving, um, often the, it's just the getting here is the hardest part of the, the weekend. You know, finishing up all the emails and taking care of all the phone calls and messages and feeding the cat and handing off the kids and whatever you've been doing to get here so you can actually have three days of uninterrupted, unplugged time. That's a lot of work. You know, the travel and the packing and all that. And so now you're here, mostly the hard work's done from one perspective and you can just relax, you know, as much as you can to rest into, settle into being here, into the form, into the silence, into the community, into the stillness. Um, and then whatever unfolds, to allow that to unfold. You've actually done most of the work is to just to get here and get your backside on a cushion. And then what happens is actually less up to us than we think. And our work is simply to learn how to and understand how we show up for this moment, how we show up for ourselves, how we show up for the joys, but also the struggles and the anxieties and the grief and the pain and the loss and the uncertainty. Because that's what life is always asking of us. How do we show up? How do we be present for ourselves, for our achy body, for our sickness, for our friend who's in distress, for our work situation that's driving us nuts, to uh, you know, to the catastrophes in the world, to the ecological crisis, to the, you know, how do we be here? How do we be present? Rather than check out, rather than hate, rather than resist, rather than complain, how do we be present with compassion, with kindness, with presence? So in terms of the the, Retreat, so IMS, which is Insight Meditation Society, we call it IMS, is a retreat center in the Buddhist tradition. 
And as part of the Buddhist tradition, part of pretty much every major religion, um, there's a valuing of retreat, of taking time away from your life, away from your roles and responsibilities and your family, and to have some time to be contemplative, to be quiet, to look within. And I think that's ever so more pressing now because our lives are generally a little crazy. Anybody not have a crazy life? Anybody life very tranquil and peaceful and there's just lots of time to do everything? Yeah, maybe a few people, but most people, it's life is complicated and busy and there's stress and there's not enough time to do, to do emails or get work done or see friends or take care of our bodies. And we often arrive at the retreat fatigued and sort of with a hangover from, hangover from our life. So the, so the value of taking time away from all of that, right? because of in that busyness, in that rushing around, in that doing and working and running, we don't get time to stop, we don't get time to slow down, or we don't take the time. And so we get out of touch with ourselves. We get out of touch with, as, as you were speaking to about, coming back so I can get quiet enough to listen to what's really important for me. What are my values? What's really true? What has meaning? What has purpose? And how am I living out of alignment with that? Because so often we do get like that because of just the pace in which we live. And so when we slow down, we get to sort of see what's happening at a deeper level. And we get to ask the more profound questions like, who am I? Or what am I? Or what am I doing here? What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to live with love and compassion rather than hatred as Dr. King and the Buddha were both teaching us. How do we live with that courageous heart in the face of injustice or oppression or racism? How do we come forth with kindness? These are not simple questions, they're profound reflections. And we get answers to these when we look a little deeper, when we slow down enough, when we let all the static in our minds slow down so we can actually see what's going on and see how, whether we're living in alignment with some of those deeper values that we might hold dear. So partly what we'll be inviting you to do is to slow down, and to unplug, and to unhook from phones, and emails, and Facebook, and Twitter, and iPads, and all the stuff that we live by these days. Please, please, please turn them off stick them under your bed or lock them in your car so they're not easily grabbable when you're feeling bored or anxious at two in the morning and you go to the quick fix. Has anybody emailed me yet? So slowing down. The slowing down of the body invites a slowing down of the mind. So you might notice there's not a lot of stuff to do around here. (laughs) There's not a lot of stuff on the walls. There's not a lot of books around. There's not a lot of stimulation because we're so overstimulated in our lives. We're wanting to invite some tranquility. So we're practicing more being versus doing. We're all pretty good at doing in our lives, right? Working and getting ahead and all of that. Not so much good at the being. And of course, our species is called human beings. Right? We've just forgotten how the being part of our names. We become human doings. Or as my friend said, uh, it calls us homo shoppians. <laughs> you know, we're so busy consuming something or other. Lao Tzu, the great 
Taoist Chinese philosopher said, the most important thing to do is to be. So what does it mean to be? To be myself without and doing anything. A French philosopher Pasteur once said, most of the world's, most of the human problems in the world could be solved if we could learn just to sit by ourselves in a room quietly for a few hours, doing nothing. Right? And sometimes even the thought of that is terrifying. What do you mean, I can't take my iPhone in there? And this was, it. he wrote that in the 17th century. So how much more of an issue is it now? So the good news is you're here, and this is a wonderful, precious opportunity to really be quiet, to be still, to look within, to listen, to open the heart, to, cut, to learn practices that support awakening, support clarity, support kindness and compassion. Right? What a lovely gift you've given yourselves for this weekend. You could have gone to Vegas, you could have gone anywhere, and you came here. This is a good thing. So, this retreat is in the context of the Buddhist tradition, as I said. And some of you will be very familiar with Buddhist teaching, some of you are very new. In fact, I'm just curious, who's here? How many people have done a silent meditation retreat, a weekend or a a week-long retreat? How many, put your hands up, how many people have done a silent for a minimum of a weekend? Okay, so a good, good number of you. So there's a line from Thich Nhat Hanh that I like a lot. Thich Nhat Hanh was a Vietnamese, is a Vietnamese Zen teacher, meditation teacher, poet, activist. And he said, uh, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. So what I like about that teaching is it's, is it's, a, it's accurate in, its, in that Buddhism is a very pragmatic philosophy and um, set of practices, and it's really a path or a guide to how to live well, to how to understand how we create our own psychological and emotional mental suffering, and how we can free ourselves from that very psychological, emotional, mental suffering. Where we have that capacity to be free, to be peace right here, right now, it's available. It's, it's, the, it's, our, it's the human capacity. The Buddha's life, the Buddha was a human being, lived a few thousand years ago, through his own dedication, his practice, his inquiry, his study of his mind and heart, figured out the ways that we entrap ourselves with our reactivity, with our hatred, with our greed, with our self-centeredness, and discovered, discovered a, a series of methods of tools of practices, of reflections, of inquiries that support that movement from suffering to well-being, to peace. This is the good news. So we'll be studying and learning various meditations and, and ways of being that support that movement from stress to peace, from confusion to clarity. And with the primary tool we'll be using, well, there's two primary tools, but the first one is the, is the practice of mindfulness, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, most of you. How many people have a regular meditation practice, just out of curiosity? Okay, so 
good half of you. I say regular because, you know, of course that could be once a year, you know. <laughs> yeah, once a year. Every January 1st, I'm right there. <laughs> and then I don't know what happens the rest of the year. <laughs> goes out. <laughs> so not so easy to get up every day and meditate. But anyhow, that's another story we'll talk about. So this cultivation of mindfulness, which is really, it could be defined in many ways. It could be defined as awareness, the clarity of awareness of simply knowing what's happening in the moment. It's a present moment recollection of what's happening here in this mind-body experience. So we all have this capacity to be aware, to wake. You would have crashed your car had you not had some modicum of mindfulness. You would have tripped over the steps. You would have put your food in your ear. All kinds of things we need everyday mindfulness for. And we can refine and develop this faculty. What's distinct about mindfulness is it's the knowing of what we're doing. So we can be, we can be attentive. We can be somewhat cognizant of, you know, things we do in our day, walking and talking and moving around. But mindfulness is the knowing of that, knowing that it's happening when it's happening. So there's some cognizance of it. And so we'll be cultivating this quality, this careful attention to our moment-to-moment experience, which illuminates what's happening in our experience. And we cultivate mindfulness not as an end in itself, so we can see more clearly, so we can develop insight, so we can understand what brings peace? How do I find happiness? And why am I not happy? Why am I here on the retreat? Why am I struggling so much in my life? And of course, that clarity illuminates often more deeply the struggles we're in, the pains we're in. And that's why we cultivate the second quality, the quality of kindness, what's called metta, and the quality of compassion, right? Because it's hard. The, 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 the Buddha spoke about the challenge of living a human life, and of course we don't need the Buddha to tell us that. We know from our own experience the uncertainty of aging, of loss, of fears, of financial insecurity. Um, not easy to be a human being with a sensitive heart and sensitive skin. So it's essential that we cultivate the quality of heartfulness or kindness to meet ourselves, to meet the suffering of our friends and our loved ones and the world. Right? So we'll be looking at how do we bring this, how do we bring forth kindness rather than resistance or rejection or judgment or hatred. This is a few words from Dr. King. He says, every person must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So these are profound teachings. And what I've appreciated so much about the practice of Buddhism and is, the, is it gives very practical tools how to understand our own hatred, how to transform hatred into kindness, into acceptance, into love. And we first do that by looking at ourselves, as the young man over there talked about. We want to see the ways that we close off to ourselves, the ways that we reject ourselves, the way that we talk to ourselves, talk to ourselves with a lot of harshness and cruelty. And to see that there's another way to be that we can actually 
be kind, we can be caring, we can be loving to this body, this heart, this mind. And of course, the more we can learn to do that here, the more we can bring that into our life and into our connection with each other. So in terms of the retreat form, some of you will be be familiar with the kind of schedule we have here. Some of you will, it's new, so I'm gonna say a few things about that. So you'll notice on the board, which um, you will probably end up reading 50,000 times, because it's the only thing to read around here. Um, Maybe your toothpaste tube contents and stuff like that too gets very exciting after a few days in silence. But the schedule on the board, you'll see it's, it looks really full. Right? You get up at 5.30 or 6, I'm an earthly hour, and we're sitting, and there's walking, and there's sitting, and it looks like a full day. But it's really a day of doing nothing, absolutely nothing. We're simply being present. In fact, the only, well, the two instructions, really, for the whole retreat is be present and be kind. Right? So off you go. <laughs> Come back on Monday morning. But if we did that, you know, you, when we reported back on Monday morning, you, you know, well, I kind of read my book for a few hours. Yeah, I took some walks. I had a cup of tea. I meditated once or twice. And, and so, there's, so there's, we found that there's value to having structure, support. We'll be giving instructions for the meditation. We'll be giving talks in the evenings. There'll be time for question and answers. There'll be uh, yoga. There'll be different ways that you'll be supported in, in developing these qualities throughout the day. Someone gave me this cartoon, which is kind of, I thought was an interesting metaphor for what happens here on retreat. So there's a couple of Zen monks watching TV, and one's asking them, so what's on? And one monk says, ah, there's nothing on this channel. And the other monk says, excellent, let's watch that. <laughs> so that's kind of what happens here. Not a lot's going on. Great, let's watch that. So some supports for our time here. So we have basically created a kind of a temporary little monastery here. There's about a hundred of us sitting this course. So in this, there's a lot of people in this small space. So um, we want to learn how to you know, get along in peace and harmony rather than get on each other's nerves. Right? So there's some supports for that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But a couple of other things I think are important to remember. One is um, to be patient. You know, to notice what expectations and hopes you have for the course, you know, what outcomes you're, you're uh, told your employer you'd get by Monday morning, you know, and then notice those and let them go. Because sometimes we come with expectations or ideas of how it's going to be, and if we don't, if, if whatever we do doesn't fit our expectations, then we don't like what's happening. Why don't we just notice the expectation, let it go, and actually see what's going to be here? Because we don't know what's going to happen here. And it may be amazing, it might be wonderful, but you can guarantee it's not going to be like what you imagined it. Because life's too inter- interesting for that. You know, it's much more complex. And So another thing to, I really want to invite, um, especially for those who have done retreats or done a lot of retreats, there can be a tendency when, when we go into silence, and, and of course when we go into silence, our attention goes very inward, and we're not doing a lot of social interaction, we're not talking, and we're not doing those things that we normally might thread a community together. Um, and there can be a tendency or an idea that, that we should be really serious, that spiritual practice is serious, the serious business. 
And, and, and from one perspective, it is a serious business, but we don't have to be serious and dour about it. Right? So this idea that somehow being holy means looking a little dour. You know? And I was raised Catholic, and I was raised with that idea that it should look very dour. But you know, the, 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 the fruition of the path is enlightenment, which is enlightening, which is unburdening, which is removing the heaviness from our lives and our psyches. And so we can do this with some lightness, with some joy, with some inquisitiveness, with some playfulness. Right? So I really want to invite that spirit. And it will look like, at times you look around, everyone's walking very slowly and mindfully. It looks like, my God, I've just moved into the psych ward here. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have to be like that internally. You know, there can be a lot of joy to be had in the, in the richness of the silence and our inner experience and the beauty of the nature and to be with like-minded people and to have the preciousness of this time. To, in, to feel the support of the nature. So for a lot of you, nature is like it is for me. It's a big support for happiness and well-being. And so you may choose to do your walking meditation outside. I, I, I have no idea whether it's going to be 60 degrees or minus 30 because it seems to be fluctuating like that in the last week or so. so. But when it's warm, go outside and feel the warmth of the sun. See the sunset, take in the beauty of the forest. You know, Enjoy, feel the nurturance of that, the love that's coming from the earth in all of its abundant ways. So in terms of creating a safe container, one of the things that we ask you to do is take what's called the five ethical guidelines, which are really just foundational principles of how to live with each other without, with ha- without uh, harming each other with a spirit of kindness and respect. So the first principle, the first guideline is to refrain from harming any living thing, ourselves, each other, any bugs, any mosquitoes, anything that you don't like that you want to just normally get rid of. No, we want to respect all of life, however big, however small. So we're bringing this spirit of kindness into our interactions with ourselves, with each other, with any animals or insects or bugs that you come across. There's not that many bugs here in the death of winter, but there are some, and be kind to them. In the, in the old days, we used to have a lot of um, cockroaches here, um, when the, you know, before all the renovations and everything, and, and we'd do these long retreats, and then, of course, at night, you know, be up in the middle of the night, and there were all the cockroaches around, and everyone's moving very slowly and very mindfully and lovingly, and I thought, these, these cockroaches are the most loved cockroaches on the planet. And everyone's tiptoeing around them and maybe happy, and no, not on the bread, go over there. <laughs> They got rid of them, just so you know, <laughs> lovingly, you know, with matter, and they tried teasing them out with actually bits of. We had there was an ant infestation. They put little trails of bread out into the forest and got <laughs> psychics in and all kinds of things. And yeah, so non-harming ourselves, each other, or life. And the second guideline is to not uh, to refrain from taking anything that hasn't been freely offered. So there are things offered here, the the cushions and the zaffirs, not to take home, but just to use while you're here, the food and everything like that. Um, but anything else, things in the office, other things in the kitchen, then that to be respected as the, as the property of IMS. And as you notice, those of you who, in, who have been to re- IMS before, we now have keys. We now have locks on the doors. And a couple of weeks ago, I think you were sent a letter or an email. Uh, we did have some petty theft um, into a few of the rooms. 
So now as a security measure and to just to create a sense of safety, there's now locks on the door. So we ask you to lock your door when you're not using it. And in the particular those who are staying in Shanti, and I'm sure Sage said this, but I'll say it again, those who are staying in Sage, please remember not to, to take your key with you, especially in the middle of the night. The, fir- the last retreat, um, I think it was, was it, was it you, Mindy? It was, had to get up three times in the middle of the night because someone was locked out from going to the bathroom. So um, be mindful, pee here now, and then take your key at the same time. So... <clears throat> So respecting property of each other and uh, so creating a sense of safety. Um, and it's so interesting to see how when this rule, when this guideline isn't respected, it does, it does rattle the sense of well-being, the sense of trust. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing to be here and feel like you can leave things around and no one's going to pinch your shawl because it looks nice. No, it's going to be on the chair where you left it. So the third guideline, um, again, is in the spirit of turning inwards and um, uh, supporting the sense of um, introspection. Uh, We're cultivating the practice of celibacy, of not engaging in sexual activity in any form. And of course, in our lives, sexuality and all that goes around it can take up a lot of energy and time and attention. Um, And so... Uh, as beautiful as that can be, that's not what we're choosing to do on retreat. We're choosing to really use that energy uh, in the service of our own uh, cultivation of awareness and kindness. So we will release you from that guideline at the end of the course. Um, the fourth guideline is to cultivate noble silence. So hopefully all you will know this is a silent retreat. We will go into silence from tonight until... Monday morning, or a little bit earlier maybe. Um, and the reason we do this, not because communication is a bad thing, but because, again, our minds are so busy and stimulated and conversation and talking generally tends to agitate the mind with thoughts and, and ideas and concepts. And, and we're trying to really invite the mind uh, into a little more uh, quiet. Not that it will be that quiet, but a little quieter when we stop talking a little quieter when we stop reading, a little quieter when we stop surfing the web. And so um, so we ask all of you to really thoroughly, 100% commit to this guideline. Um, of course, in a room, if a few people are talking, then we're no longer on a silent retreat. So this is where we get to see how we're deeply interconnected and everything that we do impacts everybody else. So we ask that you Absolutely commit to the silence, even if you're here with friends, with family, with your loved one. Um, It's actually a beautiful gift to learn how to be with loved ones in the same space in a respectful silence. It's not a punishing silence, it's a loving silence. And we can still be extending our hearts. We'll be doing meta practice, wishing each other well as you walk around the building, wishing each other happiness and kindness. So again, it doesn't have to be a dour, kind of a stingy silence. It can be a beautiful restful silence. And you'll find, especially if you're new to the practice, that the silence is, is a delicious uh, and often surprising um, uh, gift. And the silence is a doorway into a deeper uh, quality of understanding or a deeper presence. And we, we can often sense the mystery or the, or the sacred in the silence. Because all the static and the chatter is died down. 
And as part of that silence, we absolutely ask you to turn your cell phones off, turn your uh, turn your uh, your computers off, and your iPads and um, all of the other stuff you might have um, to unplug. It's, and it's, this is a rare and rare, rare gift these days to have these opportunities to unplug. And as part of that, we also ask you not to um, do any reading while you're here, except the notes on the notice board. Um, as part of that, not stimulating the mind. And because we also want to orient you to really to be present with yourself and your, and your present moment experience, which we so often run from in our lives, but it's actually where life and reality is happening is right here. And lastly, the last guideline is to refrain from taking any intoxicants that cloud your mind that cause heedlessness. And that can be any form of alcohol or recreational drugs or anything else that, that does that, that does not include um, any necessary um, medication that you're taking, but only to recreational drugs. So again, I'll just, I'll just repeat them just to, uh, and to silently commit then silently commit to them as, as you hear them to refrain from harming any living being, to refrain from taking anything which hasn't been freely offered, to refrain from sexual activity, to refrain from conversation, and to refrain from taking intoxicants. So thank you for your commitment to that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to these next three days where we get to be together and meditate and explore our own being, our minds, our hearts, and to find ways to, f- to be more at peace and more free. So thank you. And by the way, this thing that I just did that Buddhists seem to do a lot, um, called bowing, or you know, it's you know, and also in the yoga tradition, which is you know, often people will say at the end of a class, Namaste, which means I, you know, greet the the divine in you. Um, I have, I do this mostly as as a gesture of respect, and you can do it if you like doing it, and if that don't want to do it, that's also fine. So just listen to what's feels authentic for you. Okay, so um, we were going to do, we are going to do a little sitting, but let's stand up and do a little stretching first. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.